Welcome to your weekly dose of NFL Jibber Jabber, the Club Dub Football Podcast. Remember to follow on Twitter, Insta, and watch video shows each week on YouTube. Want to get in touch? That's easy. Message through social or email clubdubpodcast at mail.com. Welcome to the Club Dub Football Podcast. Where the only question is Does your team make it into the club? Can he get in? No, he cannot! The guys are ready, so let's hand over to Rob Rose, JB, PB and Aldrin, and get on with the show. So hi gents. Hi Rob. Can you believe we are staring down week six already and a week of pretty tasty matchups, I think. But before we get into talking about our games of the week and obviously picking the teams we think will wind up in club dub, it's the first week of the season that we get to look back and review that includes London action. So I'll hand over to you guys first. What were your main takeaways from week five before we get on to what we look forward to in week six? Um, Aldrin, why don't you kick us off? Um, I just thought it was such a good spectacle, wasn't it? I mean, it was great to have it back anyway, but I think the the flyover and the national anthems was in true American tradition of what we get to see on the telly and I've never seen in real life before. So that was incredible. And I actually thought it was, uh, I mean, you guys might disagree with me, but I thought it was a, a good, interesting game, um, mainly because of the very two-halved nature of the game. The, the Falcons kind of started to run away with it and then did what the Falcons seem to have done quite well in the last couple of years and did nothing in the second half and let their opponent get back into it. But um, yeah, it's just so good to have football back. To be able to go to a stadium and and see the game we love was, was amazing. On the game, I don't think the game was particularly good. I think the Jets were rubbish in the first half. Um, Zach Wilson couldn't seem to find a receiver. And when he did, it was thrown at his feet. So I wasn't particularly impressed with him. They came back and made a bit of a game of it in the second half, but it was never in in reality, it was never really that close. So I don't think it was great as a contest. The flyover, as you said, was amazing. The anthem singer on the on the platform at the top of the stadium. I'll be amazed if Jackson Deville doesn't jump off that this weekend, but that'll be interesting. We'll see. The the probably one takeaway from me from the London game was the annoying first down screeching falcon is awful and if they have to listen to that in atlanta every game i can't like surely they don't part with that um but my takeaway from the nfl weekend week five as a whole is no one can kick i i think we saw what four five missed kicks in one game kicks missed in other games like it, it seems that all of a sudden all of you know every kicker in the league has, has fallen apart at some point even justin tucker missed a kick you know, and he's Mr. Reliable. So it's it, it just seems it's a bit of a, a weird season for kickers this year. It's not just that people can't kick. It's that people that you would expect to be like stone cold on this are, are anything but. Like Mason Crosby missing, was it three at the weekend? Most of which, I think all of which went wide left. And you kind of think, well, one of those I can understand, but doing three in a row, that's that's really odd. Um I think I kind of I'll probably echo your points on on the London game. Um, I think personally, my I was a bit irritated through it, but I think that was more about having to 
get up and get back down again and then get up and then get back down again. But that was more of a crowd thing than it was anything else. Um, it was interesting watching um, Zach Wilson. I think it was interesting sort of seeing the progression. I liked the more aggressive that the that as the Jets got as they um, kind of into the second half. And I think I'd said to kind of Robin Aldrin as we were watching it that I think it was just telling that was it fourth and one right on the first drive, the Falcons went for it. Fourth and two, Jets in kind of a similar position and they didn't. And I think it's that kind of diff that made the difference to me. The fact that we've talked about people leaving their seats during a game might be my favourite ever comment on our podcast. I think of all the things to recap from week five, that was not where I thought we were going. Um, I think the game was interesting in London. The difference for me came down to quarterback play. Um, I thought Zach Wilson didn't have a good game, uh, which isn't to say he can't have good games. I, th- I think it it looked from from the highlights, and I've got to be honest, it was only highlights. I saw that he did a lot better against the Titans. Um, the Jets just felt a bit short of playmaking ability. You know, the the few the few throws that were more adventurous didn't really seem to come to much. Whereas Matt Ryan, I mean, we saw him. What was it? Five thousand regular season completion, something like that. Seventh player in history. You know, you you start to get an idea of the the golfing class at least at the moment between those two players under center. Um, and yeah, the, the screeching falcon. I mean, the thing I don't get about the Screeching Falcon is you could tolerate it if they did it, you know, if it was like fire the cannons, Phil, right? If it's you've scored a touchdown, everyone's on their feet. I can imagine home fans getting behind that. But every first down, goodness me, that really was something. Um, Some of them are all right. When the Jags come over and they have the, the roar of the Jaguar. You know, when they get a first down, that's the not too bad. I think it's not of the Jaguar. Yeah, that. Well, that's their drum line, isn't it, I think, or their cheerleaders. But, yeah. you know, they have the... I'm not going to do the noise, but they have the, the Jaguar noise, which <laughs> isn't Jaguar too bad, noise. but I think it, it's not ear-splittingly high-pitched like the Falcon was. No, I, I think you're right. I think there are some good ones out there. Um and, and maybe there was a volume thing. Maybe they've got that down in Atlanta and it, it's not quite... Not quite what we experienced in London, but but it was great to have um, great to have the teams there. It was great to see live NFL football. It was great to see a stadium full. I mean, it, it truly was full, wasn't it? With the naked eye, you you just couldn't find an empty seat. And um, in the main, I think the crowd in the second half started to get behind it. I, I did think maybe the Falcons were going to throw it away as we've seen them do in London before, but, um, but yeah, ultimately just, just in a better position as a football team, I think at the moment than the Jets. Um, let's see how Zach Wilson progresses. Um, tiny little thing on kickers. I think the challenge with kickers is once you miss one, you have to then correct, you know, it almost feels like a golfer making a shot. You know, if, if your shots are pulling left, you have to correct. And, and I think it's when kickers start to make corrections that you see this happen and, and you see this kind of, this kind of the, or almost the Jenga tower, tower tumble or the, the house of cards tumble, whichever metaphor you prefer. But, um, but it did seem strange that they all, not all, so many of them had a wobble at the same time, really. Um, but yeah, great to see the Cardinals go to five and oh, as much as it was a, a workmanlike performance, but I think we are starting to see the the cream of the crop, aren't we? The the really good teams rise to the top, and and for me, my takeaway was none more so than the Buffalo Bills, who absolutely look 
you know, like a, a Super Bowl quality roster to me. They they were competitive, physical, could move the ball when they needed to. They, they just look like a team that will take some stopping now they've got that head of steam up. But yeah, there you go. In the books with week five, um, exciting NFL football is um, is never a problem. And of course, not only do we look back at a London game last weekend, we've got one to look forward to this weekend. So let's get ourselves into week six. Um, I want to know your games of the week. I want to know what you think could make the difference. And finally, who you're putting into Club Dub. Let's go around the room and start with Aldrin. Who uh, are you picking out for your tie this week? I've gone for the Chargers against the Ravens because ultimately I looked at that slate of games and that is surely pick of the week for me. It's such a, it looks like such a good contest on paper. Um, Justin Herbert continues to improve and look like an absolute world beater. Equally, based on last night, you could very much say the same about Lamar Jackson. I think he did a stellar job of leading the Ravens back into a game that for a long a long period actually looked like they were well out of it. I mean, I'm, I'm saying that as a Colts fan. But, you know, going in towards the end of the third quarter, they were not really in the game. And then all of a sudden he he orchestrates a number of drives and gets them back in it. So I think it's a, a real, it's going to be a real battle of the quarterbacks. And I, I think the matchup favors both quarterbacks. Really. I think if you look on paper, you'd probably say that Herbert can score touchdowns against that Raven secondary. Equally, you would say that Lamar Jackson should be able to much more comfortably run the ball than they were able to against the Colts. So really, I think it it just it sets itself up for a, a real back and forth big numbers game. To pick up on those points, um, let's start by looking back. The Ravens win last night was, I mean, a great game, actually, another great primetime game. And we, we haven't had too many turkeys, have we, this year um, in primetime? There's been some good contests. But also it was so un-Ravens and un-Jackson-like. You know, the, there's all the talk about you know, can he come back from deficits? And you had this, he'd never come back from a 10-point deficit and all this stuff until, what was it, the playoffs last year? I mean, the fact that he threw so much and ran so little is, is partly down to what was done by the, the defence, I suppose, partly down to that defensive game plan. But it did feel like if the Ravens can win those kind of games, maybe they are suddenly back into people's thinking for those deep postseason runs. You know, it, it was something we hadn't seen before. It was successful. Um, and it makes you think that if they can win in that type of fashion, they could cause more teams a problem as we go into the season. You know, we, we thought at the tail end of last year, maybe teams had worked out Lamar Jackson and how to stop him. Does last night's game, even that small sample size towards the end where you correctly say, Aldrin, they put those drives together. Does that all of a sudden make people, you know, game planning against the Ravens think differently? Um, that said, I mean, I'm I'm talking about could the Ravens be a true playoff contender? I think the Chargers have already proven they are. Uh, I, again, I don't think the Ravens necessarily need to beat the Chargers for me to think they could be a playoff team because I think the Chargers are very much of that ilk, of that class level. You know, they, they will beat a lot of teams this year with, with Herbert and Eckler and those wide receivers. I mean, Williams has made some great plays as much as I think... Keenan Allen is the the superstar of that that receiver room. I think Mike Williams, particularly as a deep threat, has been really, really useful. Um, yeah, anyone who beats the Chargers has got to put up points. Um, 
if the Ravens do it two weeks in a row, that might start getting people's attention. Yeah, it's hard, it's hard to tell with the Chargers, really. I think they've looked good. I mean, obviously, they beat the Chiefs. They beat the Raiders, who were flying high at that point. They beat the Browns, who who consistently been putting up points. But I, I don't know. I find it hard to go all in on them being a deep-run playoff team at the minute. I mean, they, you know, they look lights out on offense. As you said, Herbert is obviously amazing. He's far and away the best quarterback of that class from last year. Um, Keenan Allen, we know, is a top-tier receiver, probably maybe top 10 in the league, if not top five. Mike Williams, as you said, has is, is, is shown up, and they look like they're putting it together. But it's, there's still something there that I'm not sure... You know, I, I, I'm hard-pushed to say they're the favourite in, in a matchup against the Ravens, especially with how well the Ravens played last night, you know, coming back from 19 points down. Um, I think I agree with Aldrin, though. It's one of the games of the week. It, it's certainly the game of, of that slate of games. And it's a real, you know, toss up. I could quite easily happily listen to someone argue either way for who's the favourite and who's going to win this game. So I think it's going to be a really interesting contest. Yeah, I, can't, I haven't really got anything else to add. I think I kind of agree with the points that you guys have made. I think it's going to be an exciting game. Potentially kind of a a show of how of how much the Chargers have grown versus whether the Ravens are going to kind of continue on this kind of form that they're in. Yeah, the final point for me, Aldrin, before before we let you pick your winner and, and put them in club dub, is I think I always feel like the Ravens through the season can be improved through coaching. Uh, I think I know we have our favourites in all you know, parts of the NFL, but I certainly think John Harbour is a, a phenomenal coach. You know, he's the kind of person that given a group of players, you can imagine him elevating them and, and getting them to play a certain way as the season progresses. Um, so like I say, I don't think the Ravens need to be able to beat the Chargers now. I think they're showing enough to suggest that if there are steps made as there have been in previous seasons, they could be. Um, your point, Phil, I mean, it, it, it's not about not being all in. I mean, I'm probably not all in on, say, the Browns or maybe the Ravens, but I probably see the Chargers only a few clicks back from the Bills, who are probably, for me, the class of the AFC at the moment. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think a defeat would be too disastrous for either. It's good quality opposition, but Aldrin, ultimately, you get to tell the listenership what's going to happen. Who are you putting in club dub? I think, after all that said and done, I am pretty much all in on the charges and I'm going to put the charges into club dub. Insert screeching Falcon noise here. Or very much not do that. Yeah. We might, we might avoid the screeching Falcon. Um, for at least another week. Uh, let's see what the uh, roaring Jaguar sounds like in uh, seven days' time when we record again. Um, right, the Chargers not for the first time this season, it should be said, are finding themselves in club dub. They're making a bit of a habit of this. So one game down and three to go. But, Aldrin, if you've picked the class of the Slater games, JB, what have you pitched for to share with our listenership? I, this week, have picked uh, the London game. Uh, the Miami Dolphins at the Jacksonville Jaguars. And it all comes down to one simple question. Is this going to be Trevor Lawrence's first win in the NFL? Um, 
I think the Jags have improved week on week. I think they have shown a lot more fight kind of as they've gone on. I think is obviously the game is starting to develop for Lawrence. And I think anyone expecting him to come in and not see a bit of kind of a rookie learning curve was probably overestimating a little bit. But I think the Jags have started to improve. They've started to find their feet. And I think Lawrence especially has to me at least, look like he's got those flashes of of the guy that everybody expects him to be. For the Dolphins, I think the season's a disappointment so far. I think they have drastically underperformed. And some of that, yes, will will go down to uh, Tua going out injured when he did and kind of, I think, maybe taking the wind out of their sails a little bit. But you have a backup quarterback for a reason, like a guy like Jacoby Brissett is meant to come in and be able to do the kind of things that he's been able to do. Cause let's not forget we had a similar situation last year and they went to um, Fitzpatrick and he managed to keep that team going. He managed to sort of carry on and lead them forward. And I'm just not seeing that from Brissett. So you kind of have to wonder is the team underperforming is Brissett just not ready for the position they've put him in which is a little bit awkward for his third team that's kind of had to put the team on his shoulders for a couple of games at least. Or is this just maybe last year wasn't quite the success that we thought it was? Maybe there are bigger questions about what Brian Flores is trying to get out of that team that need to be answered. Um, but I think it's going to be an exciting one. I think, I hope it is a bit more end-to-end, to borrow like a, a an English football term. I'm hoping we see a bit more action between everybody. Um, we've already seen the Jags one one kick back, and we always talk about how much we'd love to see a kick return for a touchdown in a game. So there's always the possibility of that. But yeah, is this the time that Lawrence steps up and says, "Right, here is my flag in the ground. Here is the start of what everyone will remember of my NFL career." I think. You, you could be right. And I wonder if being away from Jacksonville and away from all, you know, the Jags have obviously had a lot of media attention over the last week or so, whether you feel it's warranted or not, um, around off the field matters. So I think being out of that is probably going to help them. I think they, they've they shown flashes as well, you know, like Lawrence's connection with Chenault. Um, James Robinson's had a good couple of games now. Now he's being trusted a bit more in the running game, and, and they've had some flashes. I can't remember the name of the tight end that they traded for. Um, Dan Arnold. Oh, that was it, Dan Arnold. Yeah, which was a surprise to see him go there, to be honest. And they had Jacob lose... Hollister as well. Mm. A shame to lose the Darnold to D Arnold's potential in, in Carolina, but there we are. Um, but he's, I think, he's had a, a good game or so since being there. Um, and they've shown, as I say, they've shown flashes. The kick return, you know, shows that they can do it on special teams. They just need to put it all together for a game. And I think this is the perfect opportunity for that to happen. I mean, we've seen strange things happen in London. We've seen the Jags look like world beaters, you know, playing the, the Ravens off, off the turf. Um, we've seen the Tennessee Titans look to tie the game and take it to overtime, go for two and miss and lose the game. You know, it, some strange things happen. And I think, you know, this could be the week and it's the perfect opportunity for it because I don't think the Dolphins, are, I think we expected them to make that next step and be a playoff team this year. And I don't think it looks like that. Xavier Howard's got his new deal and not looked, you know, anywhere near, I don't think, the player that he looked like last year, you know, a potential defensive player of the year. 
two has not been great and then he, now he's hurt you know Jacoby Brissett I think is is a good backup quarterback or a, you know a, a good 1B quarterback potentially but he's not a starting quarterback that's going to lead you to the playoffs so you know I think the, their performance at the weekend showed that you know they, they didn't really put a lot up against the, a, a battered Bucks secondary um, so for me I think it's a real good opportunity for Trevor Lawrence to make a statement and get his first win and, and you know see where they get rolling from there yeah, I the the Dolphins are, are, are a real weird one. They they feel like a reasonable team, but they're short a quarterback, aren't they? The only problem I have is not only are they short a quarterback at the moment, I still think that there are people in that building who've seen a lot more of two of them we have who have their doubts. You know, there seem to be those rumblings. Jacoby Brissett is a strange one because you hear a lot and you heard an awful lot in Indianapolis about what a great locker room guy he is, you know, and what a great influence he is in a quarterback room or, or, you know, in, in any offense. And yet he seems to be coming off the field an awful lot, you know, with that grimmest pained expression of a guy who just can't seem to get things going. And I think I had this issue last season as a Cardinals fan with Kyler Murray. You know, one of the things that maybe as a Cards fan I was quite fortunate to experience was that, you know, Carson Palmer would throw an interception and he'd immediately forget it. You know, he's one of those guys you see on the sideline, he's got his tablet. Drew Brees was a bit like this as well. He's got his tablet. He's already thinking about that next opportunity to get on the field. And I feel like Murray last season had a bit of what Jacoby Brissett has. He just has this almost look of impending doom. You know, the, this feeling that things might not be happening for them. And and I think when you're in a position like quarterback, when people are looking to you and looking at you, I, I just think he, he maybe doesn't have it, you know. And two are maybe the same. Uh, I, I still think the jury's out. But the problem is, I think he's going to have a very short sample size to convince the Dolphins they don't go and look in free agency in the draft for somebody better. Um, yeah, the Dolphins could very quickly be competitive again with a quarterback at the moment. I'm not sure. And look, any other week, I would probably say the Dolphins still edge this, right? I think the the Jacksonville Jaguars are not converting enough on third down to really put significant or consistent drives together. They're trying to do too much with the pass when when the run is working. Like you say, James Robinson, I think, looks, looks the absolute star of that roster so far. Um, but London's different, isn't it? It has that cup final-like feel to, like JB, make another kind of soccer comparison. And I think, I, I think the Jags will do it. I think there will be something about London that just gives them that little spark and that bit of confidence they need. Um, it's that odd middle ground, isn't it? I know it's a home game of sorts for the Jags, and they've got a, a good UK crowd uh, or UK fan base, I suppose, that'll make noise in the crowd. But I, I just think there's something about it's not a road game where you're presented with those problems typically. It's not a home game where people like Lawrence have got the pressures to perform, as you said, Phil. Yeah, I'm hoping this is the week it, it starts to come good. So my my money, like um, a number of you guys, would be on the Jags, I think. And just to to kind of pick up on a little bit of what you've said there regarding to like attitude, attitude after interceptions and things like that we have seen like Zach Wilson at the weekend. And this is a guy who's made some poor choices. He made some bad throws in the game. He's made like, he's had multiple, multiple interception games. And I think to his credit, that doesn't seem to stop him from coming out and kind of trying again. 
like we have seen as we keep coming back to a lot on this podcast you know we have been in Tottenham Stadium and seen um Jameis Winston throw an interception with the first throw of the game and what happened was he then came back out and just carried on throwing it again there is that certain attitude that you have to have as a quarterback where you have to brush everything off. You have to forget about what happened and just carry on with it. And I think you're kind of right. You do see when you look at Jacoby Brissett, just that element of he's already lost, like something doesn't go his way. And I think he's just letting all of the the errors and everything that has gone wrong in each game, just way on him and way on him and way on him and it's that shorter and shorter distance between starting the game and kind of already losing it mentally um so i think that's going to be with that in mind i think the dolphins have to be looking for Tua to come back they've kind of got to be counting down the games until he can get back in and maybe they can think okay we've just got two to get through we've just got one to get through okay now we're here let's see what we can do with the rest of the season yeah, I'm kind of with you on pretty much all of those points. I think for the Jags, if they want to win, like Phil said, James Robinson's had a good few weeks and I think they need to lean on him. Um, you know, if he's getting 100 plus yard games, then it's making life easier for Trevor Lawrence. I think like with any rookie quarterback, problems arise when you ask them to do everything and you don't make the game simple for them. Um I mean, we've seen it plenty of times, even in the last couple of years, when you expect a rookie quarterback to take a, a take an entire organization and a team on his back and drag them over the finish line. It's very rarely works out well, even with the best. You know, you look at, you know, even Manning, you know, when he came to the Colts, that first season was a disaster. And it's because you it doesn't work when it's just one guy. It has to be a team effort. So I, I do think they need to they need to kind of share the load out a bit and lean on those, you know, they've got plenty of experienced players, you know, they've got Marvin Jones, James Robinson's in his second year. Now they've got some good players, you know, so I think lean on them. Um, on the other side of the ball, like you all said, the Dolphins are just such a disappointment, aren't they? Um, and in a few games, they've been so roundly beaten, you know, I, I know they've, they've had some close games against, um, was it the Patriots? The first game was pretty close. And then the Raiders game was really close, but ultimately a lot of the others they've barely been in the games. Um, so I feel like there, I feel like after last week, the Jags are on more of a high, you know, I think they can come out of the last couple of games with a bit more promise and looking at the game thinking, do you know what we, we are improving. We are getting better. I don't see that with the dolphins. I just see them getting worse the playmakers that they brought in to be you know these superstar receivers just aren't working out um so yeah for me i think it might be might be the week that lawrence gets his first win and it'd be great to see there's an element where it has like you jb i'd love to see something more competitive something i don't think we'll quite get a shootout but something you know where where both teams are really aggressive on offense particularly but it does feel like a game where if one team gets ahead, you know, two scores, I'm not sure that there's enough offensive talent to pull the other team back. And also turnovers could decide this. You know, it, it could be as simple as those those turnovers, those fumbles and interceptions that could just give 
one of those spluttering offences, good field position at just the right time. Um, but anyway, we, we all seem relatively down on the Dolphins, and I'm not going to change my position, but I do think you know they too could benefit from a really good win, and maybe they too can turn things around. But, um, but yeah, odd for us to pick a team without a win unanimously. But anyway, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, I'm coming back to you, JB. Who's going into Club Dub? This week, I have made the decision that I can not only add this team into Club Dub, but I can say that I was there live and in person when Trevor Lawrence won his first NFL game. The Jacksonville Jaguars are going in Club Dub. Falcons allowed. Um, nice choice. I think to think we're talking week six and you've just put a team without a win into Club Dub has a really nice feel to it for me. Um, two down, two to go before we get to a, a slight twist on our hot topic feature at the end of the show. Um, PB, tell me your game of the week and just where you see this particular battle being won and lost. So for me, I've gone for the Steelers versus Seahawks showdown this week. Um, and I think it's it's a real kind of turning point game in, in one of their seasons, really. So both teams are two and three. Um, and I think any whichever team goes two and four, whichever team loses this game, I think it's a hard road back for them to then go and make the playoffs. And for two teams that are perennially, you know, playoff contenders, potentially Super Bowl contenders, I think you know, being potentially out of contention this early in the season is a big deal. So, you know, I, I think it's a real marker game. And I also think to make it a bit more, maybe make it more competitive, you could say, you know, the fact that Russell Wilson's going to be out and the Seahawks are going to be quarterbacked by Geno Smith makes it a real interesting game because I think it really weakens the, the Seahawks offense. I think Russell Wilson has dragged them through, you know, games in, in the past, certainly since he, he was drafted there. They've historically had a great defense, which I don't think I would say they have this year. You know, teams are are putting up 30, you know, 30 odd points or close to 30 points on them in, in every game, you know. So it's yeah, it's it's gonna be a real tough one for them. And and you know, if you look at their schedule so far, they they beat the Colts and they beat the 49ers, which was probably a surprise when the 49ers were rolling, but then they lost to the Titans, the Vikings, and the Rams, you know, and and, and the Rams have, have been a great team this year the Vikings are a, I think a good team that have had a tough record and um the Titans really who knows you know they're, they're up and down every week but it's a real interesting one and I think that the loss of Wilson is going to hit them and you know I think that probably plays into the Steelers hands who probably also haven't particularly you know performed as, as many expected them to this year you know the opening weekend nobody expected them to beat the Bills and they did and then they go and lose to the Raiders, the Bengals, the Packers in, in quick succession. So um, the Packers, you'd probably always pick them too, but I'd have, I'd have easily had the Steelers to beat the Raiders and the Bengals in those two weeks. So um, especially with all the offensive weapons that they have, you know, they've got, a, a, again, a great uh, wide receiver trio, albeit they've lost Juju for the season now, which which kind of hampers that a little bit. But then Washington will come in, you, you presume, and play a bit more. Um, and maybe, you know, Ebron and, and Fremith in the... The t- you know the the tight ends will get in into the passing game a little bit more. So I think it's it could be a shootout. 
potentially, depending on how well Geno Smith plays. I think both teams are going to put up points. I don't think it'll be a particularly uh, run-first game. I don't think they'll be... I mean, Najee Harris has, has kind of got it going a little bit, but I don't think he's really you know, put up one of those highlight real rookie seasons that, that many maybe expected him to. Um, and the Seahawks, you know, haven't really got a, you know, a, a fantastic running game. So it's a real, I think it's going to be a game contested through the air. Um, and it could be one of those games where whoever has the ball last kind of, kind of wins it. But I just think it's that pivotal game where one of these teams is going to win and, and you know, go on and, and kind of potentially have a successful season. And one of these teams is going to lose and, and they're going to be languishing towards the bottom of the league um, towards the end. I, th- I think you're pretty much spot on the one point I would make, I would lead with if they can't get Najee Harris rolling in Pittsburgh, that puts a real ceiling on their season. Juju Smith Schuster. I know not everyone on this podcast will agree with me. That guy's a bigger name than he is game. You know, I I actually think in game terms, I don't think he makes a huge difference to what they're capable of. Uh, I think Claypool would be a bigger loss to them if I'm honest. Um, but do you know what the Najee Harris thing we've talked about? In fact, we talked last week about Kyle Pitts, who actually it's worth mentioning, did finally start to show what he's capable of in London and have the type of game we're maybe imagining Trevor Lawrence can have this weekend. But we talked about how tight ends in a rookie season are, you know, perennially, historically not able to hit the highs straight away. Running back isn't really that position. And it's surprising to me how I think the wide receiver class, and maybe it was a better wide receiver class, maybe it's as simple as that, seem to have had more of an impact this season as rookies than we've seen from running backs. I know we've had, you know, Etienne in, in Jacksonville, you know, we've had injuries that, that play a part with some of the big names too. But Najee, I think they expected far more. I think they are trying to do things with him and trying to put him in good situations, and, and he hasn't sparked yet. There were a few reasonable things over the weekend that suggested that there is talent there. Um, the way he's seeing the field might be improving and so on. But it's a weird one for me. I, I think if the game is contested through the air, you just favour the Steelers because of that defence. Uh, I think that defence is probably more of a factor than than as even comparing the two wide receiver rooms. But do you know what my concern is that the Seahawks would be better with Wilson back, you know, if, if Geno Smith can keep them 500 through the games that Wilson misses, I think they'd be thrilled with that. But the Steelers, again, in that AFC where there's some really mighty teams to topple when you start thinking about making the playoffs, um, they need to get some kind of run game going, some kind of run threat that might even open up the passing game would be beneficial. And, and that's where I see them struggling longer term. This week, though, I think it's a match made in heaven for the Steelers. You know, uh, a Seahawks team that have got to throw the ball against a defense that will love pressuring a backup quarterback. Uh, I think this is a perfect opportunity for the Steelers to get back on track. This is this is a remarkably different game than it would be if Russell Wilson was lining up to take the snap. Um, they the Seahawks in recent years, I think, have transitioned a lot away from that kind of Marshawn Lynch, run the football, run the football, run the football, throw it if we kind of absolutely have to, into a bit more of that like let Russ cook kind of philosophy of everything. But still watching sort of game highlights, watching the games themselves, a lot of it has kind of felt like Russell Wilson just sort of gets the ball and runs around a bit behind the line of scrimmage, waiting for coverage to break down or someone to do something before he throws it. 
And if that's kind of your offensive philosophy, you need a special player like Russell Wilson to make that work. And for better or for worse, Geno Smith is not that kind of player. Um, I also agree with what you said about the Steelers. I think their two best offensive players for the future are definitely Harris and Claypool. And I think last week against the Broncos, both of them stepped up and necessarily didn't arrive or didn't didn't necessarily smash it out of the park, but definitely in Claypool's case, showed what he was capable of last year in that connection with Big Ben. And um, from Najee, it was kind of like, what did he show at Alabama? What did he show in college? Like Harris had 122 yards in total on 23 carries with a rushing touchdown. His first game over 100 yards. And as a Steelers fan, what I am hoping is that that was the start of it. That was, okay, it's taken him five games, but he's over the hump. He's starting to find what he's looking for. Um, I mean, it was just nice to watch a Steelers game where we weren't throwing three yards behind the line on third and long every single time. It definitely felt like they went in with a better idea of what they were going to do on offense. And again, for better or for worse, in your opinion of Juju Smith-Schuster, I don't think him going out injured really changed the game plan that much. There were still people that stepped up and I would have faith in Deontay Johnson. Now that again, he seems to have rediscovered the ability to catch and Claypool, if he can keep going on this trajectory to pair up with Harris and kind of give the Steelers a a nice punch, something good to go with that will hopefully sort of get them out of the slump. They got into take them past the uh, the Seahawks this week and, see how we can go in a in an AFC North that's proving incredibly feisty. I think I would agree with you, Rob. I think it's a match made in heaven for what is definitely a struggling Steelers team to come up against a, a Russell Wilson-less Seahawks. I think that plays massively in their favour. Like you say, their defence should be good enough to... Well, you'd certainly expect a few turnovers against Geno Smith. I know there was what, a lot of positive talk about how well Smith played. And he kind of, a lot of people saying he came in, didn't look rusty, looked like he could orchestrate the offense. But ultimately, I think the guy's been out of the game, not starting a game or not appearing in a game since, what, 2017 for a reason. You know, if you're talented enough, you make your way onto a roster and force your way in. I don't think... He's anywhere near that caliber. So I do think it massively favors the Steelers. On the flip side, I don't have much faith in the opposing quarterback. I I think Roethlisberger is a significant part of the offensive struggles there. I don't really think he's helping at all. I think they're almost goading teams into forcing him to throw. And I think that's probably reflective of why Najee Harris hasn't really got going just yet because I think teams are quite happy to let Ben mill around in the pocket and try and find the pass because he's just, he seems a long way off it at the minute. And I think that's a real, that would be my bigger concern is that that isn't going to improve as the season goes on. I think he, is he struggling with some sort of hip injury or some kind of injury I read that he's, he's carrying and you know, at his age he's he's never been mobile. So it's, it's really not helping. But ultimately, I do think they probably come out on the on the better side of that game. But I think it might be closer than you think, just because I think both offences might stutter and stumble a little bit. A couple of quick things before I come back 
to you, BB, for your decision. I mean, firstly, I, I think it's certainly an argument with Russell Wilson. I'd maybe even say with Ben Roethlisberger, this is probably as light on talent as either of those quarterbacks have ever been when you look at the roster around them. I think there are some standout players on both sides. You think of like the TJ Watts of this world and, you know, you, you think about the the star quality that Pittsburgh probably still have, but overall, I mean, Pittsburgh have been blessed for, for years with great wide receivers, great running backs, particularly during the Roethlisberger era and, and those mean defenses. I don't think we've got a case of two coaches who've lost their way here. I just think particularly in Seattle, they are devoid of talent, really, that they, they don't have the type of players that they would need to play the way that, you know, those coaches would would want them to play. I mean, Pete Carroll has, I mean, he doesn't need to prove anything now as an NFL coach. There was a time in his career when he was doubted. I think that's probably, you know, 10 years since um, since that was the case. Um, I, I just think, yeah, I just think they haven't really got the talent to be competitive, even with, you know, future Hall of Fame quarterbacks at the helm. Um, I'm glad you saw green shoots against the Broncos, JB. I, I'm not, quite as up on the Steelers as that but I'd, I'd I'd tell you what one quick point on the Geno Smith angle you just mentioned Aldrin because I got a little bit of this from watching the Cardinals 49ers game it's amazing what a difference it can make playing against a quarterback when the defense have no tape to work off you know I, I'm not saying that you know Geno Smith or, or Trey Lance is or isn't talented but it's amazing what a difference it makes to how defenses operate when the game plan isn't guided by what you know those quarterbacks do and what you know those quarterbacks favour. Um, I wonder if the bit of take they'll now have on Gino, or the fact that the Steelers know they're preparing for Gino in a way that obviously wasn't the case last time out, will make a difference. But, um, but yeah, I'll tell you what, an interesting game um, that you've picked, and I do agree whoever loses has, has probably got a long road back. Anyway, who are we putting in club dub? I think for me, just more so out of the quarterback situation than anything else, I think it's got to be the Steelers for Club Dub this week. So, picking, not only going last on our particular pod, but also picking my game of the week last, um, was a little bit problematic, really, not because there aren't some interesting games out there, but we're at the point now where we're nudging towards mid-season, you know, buys will start kicking in and so on. And you kind of feel like you know what a lot of teams are able to bring. So you look at games like Texans-Colts, you'd favour the Colts. You look at games like Rams-Giants, you'd favour the Rams. And I was trying to think, well, who maybe has a chance of bucking the trend who maybe has a chance of doing something special. And so for my game of the week, I, well, for the first time this season, I think for any of us, I'm going to talk about Thursday night football. Um, We have got the Buccaneers of Tampa Bay against the Eagles in Philadelphia. And this is why I think this game is, is particularly interesting. Um, For me, there was an awful lot made of Tom Brady's performance in New England and the fact that obviously he went back to Gillette Stadium. He obviously went back and broke records, major records in Gillette Stadium, if we think about, you know, total yards in his career. And I just thought that ever so slightly overshadowed the fact that they very nearly lost that game. You know, we've talked about kickers and we've talked about putting drives together. And I don't think 
for everything that went on that night, the Buccaneers were particularly, I don't know, Buccaneer-like. They weren't particularly dominant. They weren't particularly sparking on offense. There just wasn't the things I've I've come to expect from them under the Brady or even the Arians era in Tampa. Now, on the flip side, they come back this weekend against a, a poor Miami team and they look like they've, you know, they've bounced back. They're they're absolutely in the groove and they're they're putting up points for fun again. But here's why I think this week is maybe more interesting. I think Philadelphia, as much as they are beatable and as much as they are flawed and as much as they are relying on young players in too many key positions, I think the way that they're playing, the Bucs will need to score points to win that game. I can imagine Hurts doing enough to put some points on the board and make sure that the Buccaneers have to play for all four quarters. I don't see this as a game that gets out of hand before halftime. I can absolutely see the Bucs having to earn this. And do you know what? I don't think the Eagles are in with much of a shout this year. You know, I think we started the season by talking about every year we're big on the Cowboys and think the Cowboys could be great and every year the Cowboys aren't. Well, this year they are. You know, this year the Cowboys look everything, every every bit of the talent on that roster deserves them to be. They look like the kind of team who could go all the way. But I had the Eagles just imploding. You know, I had the Eagles being an absolute mess. I felt their head coach, their head office, the whole organization seemed to have problems. And I wasn't sold at all on Hertz, just like I probably wasn't sold on quarterbacks in Cincinnati, um, quarterbacks in where else would I probably go somewhere? Well, certainly New England. But actually, I think the Philadelphia Eagles have done some really interesting things. Again, you talk about wide receivers and the playmakers that Wentz was really looking for the last couple of years seem to have turned up this year. I think that Hertz has that nice um, mix of mobility and arm talent that I don't think will ever make him a Deshaun Watson, a Russell Wilson, but I think makes him a pretty compelling watch, the kind of guy who can make things happen. So for me, I just think of all the games where we're looking at, you know, picking a winner, the one of the games remaining that looks cloudiest to me is Thursday night football, because I think the Eagles go in with a chance. I think it's... It's a tough one because the Bucs are coming off a big, you know, big win against the Dolphins where they looked, you know, far and away the team that they have the last couple of weeks. But the, we're pretty banged up with injuries. Our secondary especially, you know, we missed Winfield Jr. from that game as well as um, Carlton Davis and Sean Murphy Bunting, who are still going to be out. I know Richard Sherman's come in, but, you know, he's still getting to grips with the game plan. And, you know, arguably you could say he's, he's not the Richard Sherman who was a, you know, a complete shutdown corner for the Seahawks, but we looked better on, on defense in this game, you know, offense, we're still missing Gronk as well. And there's a chance that he plays on Thursday, but, but we're not sure. Um, And then Levante David went down with a low ankle injury um, on Sunday. So he's not going to be playing on Thursday. So, you know, we're coping with injuries, but then we're getting more on, on top of those. And, and that obviously affects things as well. The Eagles have been, you know, all right this season um you know they put 32 points up on the fault on, on the falcons in week one and, and won that game and everybody thought oh you know 
maybe this is, is going to be a, a decent Eagles team. But then they, you know, they only put up 11 points against the 49ers, 21 against the Cowboys. Then they put up 30 points against the Chiefs. And the Chiefs, it looks like, a, you know, have taken a step back this year. And, and as we said last week, I think everybody seems to be putting points up on the Chiefs now. Um, so it's hard to tell from that. But then they go and beat the Panthers this weekend and the Panthers have looked good as well. So I definitely think the Eagles are, are going to be there or thereabouts in their division. Do they have enough to stop the Bucks if they get rolling on offense? No, I don't think so. So I think this is going to be a high scoring game. But I, and I could be wrong because the Bucks haven't historically haven't performed brilliantly in, in primetime games. Um, but for me, I think we should have too much on offense for them to. I think it will be a real shootout, but I think we'll have too much for them. I think for me, the Eagles' defense is their strength. If if I'm honest, I mean they've got Darius Slay, who I think is you know a real top cornerback, um, and they've actually done really well at getting at quarterbacks this year. So I think that will be the strength that they should look to lean on. <sighs> the Eagles' offense. Um, I wasn't sold on Hertz last year. I'm yet to be convinced that he's a, a proper good quarterback, really. I think if you take the passing game, uh, if, if you take the passing game alone, he is nowhere near the standard that you would want from a, a quarterback in the NFL. I think let him run and give him that m- mobile option then yeah, he looks much better. But I think if you can if you can take the run game away from him a little bit and and close the space and keep him in the pocket, I just I don't think he's any better than a lot of below average quarterbacks in the league. So I'm I don't know, I'm I'm sort of with you, Rob. I think they could keep themselves in it if they can keep the score down. I don't think if Tampa put up the sort of points that they've been putting up in the last couple of weeks, then I think the Eagles will be a long way off keeping up with them. I think you could have another Cowboys game where the Eagles get steamrolled and are out of it for a long time. So yeah, I'm, I think you'd lean on the superstar quarterback that is Tom Brady outshining the, the young upstart in Hertz. Tom Brady is kind of the, I think, is surprisingly not a talking point this season for like last year, especially I think the year before and even the year before that, every time we talked about how the Patriots were going to do or how the Bucks were going to do last year, a lot of that came along with, Oh, well, you know, if Brady can keep going and unless I've missed it, there's not been an awful lot of that. If Brady can keep going talk, it's evolved into a how long is Brady going to go for? It feels like almost like the message has sunk in that he's been trying to tell everybody, which is, look, I can keep doing this all day. So and we haven't seen any kind of issues with like uh, arm strength or anything like that, that we saw with like Peyton Manning and Philip Rivers and guys like that kind of guys that Brady has outlasted. so I think it all, from a Buccaneers point of view, everything obviously throws through him. You've got the issues potentially with Gronkowski being out, but as we saw at the weekend, that's fine because they've got Godwin, they've got Evans and they've got Brown. So it's not like they're they're hurting for people for Brady to throw the ball to. 
The defense is probably a, a bit of a risk. I think kind of like Phil has said, they've got issues around sort of with the defensive back and things like that, but I've still got a good linebacking core. They've still got a good defensive end. And as we've discussed, if you have two out of the three, generally you're going to be fine. The Eagles are very much like an up and down team for me at the moment. I don't think they have quite worked out who they are yet. Um, I think the some of what Hertz has been doing, connection with some of his receivers, uh, things like that have been really good. I'm surprised that we haven't seen sort of Zach Hertz and Dallas Goddard be a bigger part of it because I think they're two prime weapons. And to kind of go back to the Patriots again, you've seen what they teams can do with kind of like two tight end sets with exceptionally talented tight ends. The Eagles have got those two and don't appear to be making the most of it, which I'm a bit surprised by. I still think they've got a good defense. They've got strong players on there. I think you're right to call this out as a good game, Rob, that people are potentially sleeping on. Um, it should be fun. Yeah, I, I, I do have a different view to, to Aldrin on this, particularly by the sound of it. I think, you know, Jalen Rieger and Devonta Smith have absolutely changed what I think. And I, I mean, I'm talking about a low base here. I, I saw them propping up that division. I mean, you've, you've only got to go back a month or two to our pods. I, I had them in, in really grave danger. You know, it, it really didn't feel like much of a, a roster to me. Um, I like what they've done at wide receiver. I know that they've got a running quarterback, but I think at running back, Miles Sanders, I, I maybe expected more there. Um, to your point, JB, really quickly, I wonder if Zach Ertz has, you know, I, I, I wonder if we've seen the best of Zach Ertz, if I'm honest, uh, a few drops. I don't think he quite looks the same player. And although we've kind of become accustomed to that kind of Greg Olson model and, and tight ends being able to have these very lengthy careers, I mean, even, you know, what Witten with, with the Cowboys would be another one. I, I just wonder if maybe maybe Ertz isn't the player he once was and and this just just needs to be another iteration of that um, Philadelphia Eagles rebuild. I think we saw the Buccaneers take a quarter off against the Falcons. I think they take a quarter off against the Eagles. And I think this game could be interesting. Again, a bit like the Seahawks and Steelers. You know, I think the success of the Eagles will come from throwing the ball, a potential weakness with the players that are out um, for Tampa. I, I don't know, Phil, I'm not convinced that Richard Sherman is is necessarily any kind of saviour. If, if Zach Ertz is a few years past his best, um, you know, how many years are we since Richard Sherman was? I mean, he did good things in San Francisco, but but I'm probably using all the fingers on one hand to count, you know, how many years since we saw the best of Richard Sherman. So so who knows? I mean, I, I could be completely wrong. Um, I think Tom Brady, as you've said, JB has, has proved us wrong year in, year out for probably the last seven or eight. Um, but I think Philly go in with a chance here. I probably have it only 60-40, whereas others will probably have it more of an 80-20. But despite me talking this up and maybe trying to create this, as you said, JB, is a bit of a sleeper game. The team I'm going to put in club dub is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. <laughs> the cannons so the bucks are the fourth of our four teams that we're putting into club dub and at this point on the podcast we would normally uh, talk about our hot topic of the week well because we're a sensible group without good 
legal counsel or representation. We're going to steer well clear of this week's hot topic. We're going to go nowhere near it at all. So PB has an alternative. Um, talk us through what you've got for the rest of the group, Phil. How's this going to work? Yeah, so I'm avoiding digging into any 10-year-old emails or anything like that um, and any controversy that that may cause. So I've got three hot takes here. I'm going to throw it over to each of you, and I want you to tell me whether you agree or disagree and what your reasoning is. So, Rob, as you're always last, why don't we start with you? Sounds good. So after last night's record-breaking performance, Lamar Jackson has erased any doubts about his passing ability. What say you? Oh, and you can't really sit on the fence here, can you? I've, I've got to either go with it or against it. Yeah, you've um, got to pick one. Come on. Do you know what? I think so. Uh, I think for a long time, you had this thing that said, people have figured out Lamar Jackson, right? That that was the narrative, wasn't it? It couldn't come from behind because people have... I think last night really does go a long way to changing those perceptions. I think the other thing that last night does as well is Lamar Jackson will now have as long a career in the NFL as he wants. You know, will he be a Baltimore Raven for his whole career? Maybe not. Who knows? I mean, things change quickly. Cam Newton was, what, 2015 MVP. Two years later, he's on the street looking for work. But I think that what you're seeing now with Lamar Jackson is he's building the type of body of work that means even if things were to fall apart around him in Baltimore, I think another team knocks on that door. And I think that... You know, a couple of years ago, people were saying, you know, is it going to be himself and Mahomes who dominate the AFC for decades? I think maybe that storyline feels a little ambitious, but um, it's changed my view. I mean, I started the show by saying I think the Ravens are all of a sudden the kind of team I look at and think, yeah, I think this is a playoff team. I think they're on the way up, whereas in my mind... The Titans maybe are a team that's seriously on the way down. The Dolphins another. So, yeah, I think so. I think we are starting to see Lamar Jackson develop and mature into the type of player who, look, he's not Patrick Mahomes. He's not, I mean, Tom Brady. But, I mean, who is? I think what we're seeing is there is a dimension to his game that has not been there before. And I think it makes the Baltimore Ravens um, actually more dangerous um, than they probably have been in previous years agree so you're, you're on the agree with that that's fine i think on one of your points patrick mahomes isn't patrick mahomes this season but that's for another another day let's see how he gets on this weekend so i agree with you after the the highlights last night or watching the highlights this morning i think it was a fantastic performance he drove that team back you know from a 19 point deficit so i i think definitely you know all of those jibes about him being a, a running back rather than a quarterback are, are kind of put to bed a little bit there was it was it three so I was just going to say, was it two or three weeks ago that he effectively threw, what was it, three touchdown passes to Marquise Brown that were dropped? You mm-hmm. know, uh, it's not all on him. There's there's not a whole body of top-tier receivers knocking around his team. Yeah, exactly. Do, do you know the other one? And, and I know this is so odd to quantify because in a way it's ultimately quantifiable and in a way it should make no difference at all. But there is something about doing it in prime time. You know, there are those quarterbacks who go their whole careers without really shaking off that reputation of of not being able to do it when the brightest lights shine. I mean, I think Andy Dalton's one of them. I think to an extent, Kirk Cousins is still one of them. You know, there are a couple of, and, and, you know, for all of his success, you know, the fact that he was, you know, MVP talent doing things the league had never seen before. I think Lamar Jackson was kind of one of those as well. And I, I do think last night changes that. 
I think last night absolutely puts to bed a lot of those discussions. So um, let's hope so, because I think, you know, exciting quarterbacks in this league is so often what it's all about. It'd be great to think Baltimore have got one for years to come. Agreed. So JB with topic number two, Jamar Chase will win rookie of the year. No. And that is more about the field than it is about specifically Lamar Chase not being good enough. I think there is, I think there's, I think there's too much, there's too much football still left to play. As I said, we're coming in, we're coming into week six. We've got another 12 weeks to go after this one, but with the extra game and everything like that, I think we're starting to see improved performances from, uh, from guys like Najee Harris will put up. And I don't think we've quite seen the best from like, Trevor Lawrence or or even right and I can't believe I'm about to say this but even like Mac Jones or Justin Fields I think there is the possibility there to see some things that I don't think anyone would have expected from players and there's too much doubt in my mind to really go with Chase as the absolute uncrowned king Fair enough for me I think you know if we're awarding the first five weeks of the season MVP or, or rookie of the year, I think it's got to be him because none of the others have really stood out. But then, yeah. you know, yeah. as we saw, we saw Carl Pitts's first touchdown um, in the NFL at the weekend, you know, Justin Fields seems to have the helm for the, the bears now and, and he's got them winning games. So I suppose that point is valid in that, you know, if, if he has a good run, a good run with them towards, you know, the middle of the season, towards the end of the season as well, there's, then there's arguably the good shout for him to come through. But I certainly think Chase is a, is the main contender at the moment. I think he's, he's kind of leading the list as we are today. Yeah. I've been, um, I've, I, yeah. I couldn't have disagreed with JB more. I think Jamar Chase is the pick of the litter from the draft class. I think if you look at the guy's college tape, not, not just his, but all of the the guys drafted in the, you know, the top 10, say he's the only one that's looking like the player that he was in college, you know, a dominant top tier receiver that's going to break records. And I think he will do exactly that. So I, I think, yeah, I said this earlier. I think the receivers as a group have probably been the highest performers of the, of the rookies. I think receivers seem to have hit the ground running. I mean, it wouldn't, you know, be beyond the realms of possibility for someone to get up ahead of steam pits or fields or, you know, Lawrence or any of these guys, you know, could absolutely put themselves in the picture. But yeah, he'd, he'd probably be my rookie of the first quarter of the season or wherever it is we're up to. Um, yeah, and I, I, I might even be might even be wrong about Joe Burrow, but I'm not quite prepared to make that statement. Yet. <laughs> but I think he's he's looking, you know, he's looking middle of the pack comfortably, isn't he? And I um, I definitely didn't have him there at the start of the year. So who knows? I don't, sorry, I just want to say, I don't disagree with you saying so far he has been the most impressive rookie, but I think there is, there is a great jump between saying, well, this guy was the best for the first six weeks to this was the best guy across the entire season. Very valid point and answered the, the question correctly. Good job. Lastly, we come to you, Mr. Aldrin. Kirk Cousins will earn another contract to stay with the Minnesota Vikings. 100%. I think if they decide to move on from him and think the grass is greener, then they are sorely mistaken. I think he works really well in that offense. And I know that, you know, Rob touched on it, you know, sometimes he's not done it on those, on those 
big days, you know, the the Monday night and Thursday night footballs. But I think the guy makes that offense tick really nicely. I think even without Dalvin Cook, the past couple of weeks, they've looked impressive. I think he's got a good relationship with Jefferson and Thielen. And I don't think you can underestimate that. So I think there's been teams, you know, that have gone and thought maybe we can find somebody better. I don't know that there'll be anybody that's going to be available that is anywhere close to being as good as Cousins. And I think, you know, despite his flaws, they're a better offense with him than without. You know, I think there's a lot of quarterbacks that knock around the league that pick up starts. And then you think, why, why is that organized? I mean, you could look at Nick Foles. You know, the guy has been named starter at a number of organizations and it just doesn't work out. And I think it's, you know, better the devil, you know, sometimes, but equally, I, I, I think he's a really good quarterback. So I think if they if they do choose to move on from him, they'll they'll find it tough going. Yeah, I but, think I'd, uh, I would agree with that. Um, sorry, Rob, you go. No, I was going to say, please tell us that's the right answer, because it is right. Well, yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think so. I I think he's. He's never going to be a top 10 quarterback in the league making massive highlight reel plays, but he's the guy that keeps the offense ticking over and and he keeps gaining yardage. And I think if you you have any questions about his game management or or his leadership of an offense and, and a team, I think you go back to the game at the weekend where he had, what was it, 37 seconds on the clock or something like that, and I think maybe two timeouts, um, and he led him down the field within field goal range and, and uncharacteristic, uncharacteristically for this weekend, the kicker managed to make the kick and, and they, you know, broke Lions hearts and won the game. So yeah, for me, I, I would agree, but I'm not sure JB, whether you're, you're quite on board with that. You are all wrong. The, the overestimation of Kirk Cousins, ability on this podcast is terrible. Why, why don't you like that? I just, and I I could just as easily be wrong about this because I'm not about to present any kinds of facts or any kind of evidence or or stats or anything like that, that, that can prove that I'm right. There's just something about his play. There's something about him that I just can never really feel like I could put my faith in. I think, yes, the Vikings have kind of uh, said we've we've managed to work out an offense that he can perform well in, but is that what you want? Do you do you want to be working your offense out around the quarterback, or do you want to be getting a quarterback that can do so much more? Um, and plus, as well, you where know, do you, where do you think these quarterbacks come from, James? I don't know if you think they grow on trees, but I think yeah. the fact that the Steelers have gone into the season peddling an aging broken down quarterback says that there aren't enough going around for the teams that want to get to the playoffs and I think if you find one that moves your offense well you know I think we people in the league talk about system quarterbacks like it's a problem yeah like that's not what all quarterbacks are and I think the fact that you find one that has a good connection with your running back and good connection with your two elite receivers and you know good tight ends and things like that that's exactly what you want from a quarterback. I, I don't know why there's this obsession with the grass might be greener somewhere else. I think, you know, arguably Carolina did it when they moved on from uh, Cam Newton. And ultimately it's taken them a, a good while to find a quarterback that looks 
half as serviceable as what he did. So I don't know. I just think you get these rose tinted glasses with there's better out there and there just really isn't. I mean, I do think you have kind of inadvertently hit on something that kind of goes against your point there when you talk about how Cousins is throwing to two of the best wide receivers in the league and he's got one of, if not kind of one of the top three best running backs in the league kind of there as well. And those kinds of things paper over a heck of a lot of cracks. Hello, New Orleans Saints playing Jameis Winston this week. Well, well, that was where my point was going to be. I just think it makes too much sense for those two to stay together because it's a problem neither of them want. You know, is Kirk Cousins going to be somebody's bona fide starter if he moves on? I think he's middle of the pack. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with being a top 15 quarterback in the NFL, but I think that's what he is. And also the Vikings have got too many other problems. You know, the Vikings need to get that defense back to being what it once was. You know, there's too many aging pieces in there that they still rely on. I just don't think they need the additional problem. I, I think moving on from Cousins is a rebuild. And you've just said it, JB, they've got two elite wide receivers and a great running back. You, you don't want to start rebuilding when you've got that kind of talent. Um, I think the Saints, I think the Steelers, I think the Washington football team. I think, you know, depending what happens with Jimmy Garoppolo, for example, there could be a number of teams who are interested in Cousins. But I just think it makes too much sense for him to stay where he is. I think I agree. I think um, they will want Cousins to stay. But as you say, whether there's a market there, you know, does Cousins upgrade the Steelers, for example, from from what they have at the moment? Does Cousins upgrade the Washington football team? And it all depends on where these these teams are picking as well. So, yes, I I was going to say that the answer to both those questions is yes. I know that wasn't part of your (laughs) segment, Phil, but exactly. Yeah, a good three topics and, and some good discussion, I would say. Well, there you go. Um, So we'll be talking more London football when we get together in a week's time. Obviously trying to unpack um, the nation's favourite Jacksonville Jaguars against, I mean, I was about to say the Jags have got this huge following in the UK from all their trips over the years, but the Dolphins, particularly from that, that, you know, fan base that kind of built around the NFL in the 80s, the Dolphins massively fancied here in the UK as well. So, yeah, it could be a great atmosphere and, and let's also hope a great game. But before... We um, bid our listship adieu. Um, JB, do you want to give us the runners and riders from last week's Pick'em contest and put that into context for us for the season? So there was a first this week or last week as finally Phil got off the starting blocks. Phil took the uh, victory with a uh, season equaling best 13 and 3. Uh, Aldrin second with 11 and 5. Rob third with 10 and 6. And unfortunately, I was bringing up the rear this week with a 9 and 7. Uh, took some risks, didn't quite pay out for me there. Phil, I think, kind of just stuck to the uh, stuck to the norm instead of, uh, you know, really putting it out there and kind of benefit from it this week. Stuck to the norm of selecting winning teams. Well, yeah. was was it they say about uh, blind blind squirrels and their nuts? Uh, season-wise, that means we have all now successfully won a week. Rob is still ahead 2-1 two, two, for the rest of us, though. Um, total picks for the year, uh, I am still ahead, but only just. 54-26 plays 52-28 for Aldrin, and Rob and Phil tying it up with 51-29 each. D, 
didn't even know that was something we were tracking. But as you were top, I can I can absolutely believe that that it needed to be included. Um, the only thing about your long term future, JB, is I'm not sure I can back somebody who believes that Narj Harris has turned the corner. <laughs> that that feels that feels like a lot of wishful thinking. But um, but maybe maybe I'm just giddy with excitement up here with the Cardinals five and zero. Who knows? Um, nice that we avoided the Cardinals five and zero. You should have mentioned it. I know I, I should have brought it up, right? Um, but yeah, I did avoid um, Cardinals Browns. I think that is the banana skin the Cardinals could have done without. But um, but yeah, guys, um, amazing quality as always. Thank you for your insight and input. I look forward to being with many of you this weekend as we enjoy more London football. But um, but yeah, until next week, we'll catch you on the flip side. Cheers, guys. Bye. Remember to subscribe and be cool. Tell your friends.